Okay. Brethren, thank you for joining us in uh, continuing our class on the um, prodigal family reunion uh, in our Wednesday night Bible class. It is a fun study. It's really, it's, um, you know, as we're, we're trying to segment, segment it out and, and have, we have it. the brother. Uh, so we're going to call the first brother the younger brother, and then the older brother will be the second brother. The eldest brother will be the second brother. I may also refer to the first brother as the prodigal, because, you know, the parable really isn't um, about the prodigal son, right? That's our title. Uh, it's two sons. That's what Jesus said, right? So so we're in Luke, Luke chapter 15, and um, for this presentation, we will not have a slide, but the next presentation, we will have slides for the class from that point forward. So just kind of bear with me, if you will. This is, it's not really a review, but I want to go back a little, a little bit. Um, in our, from where our class started, which is really important. So, But before we do, let's pray, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Please open our minds to the depth of what you're trying to teach us, what you want us to know. Uh, help us to be willing to accept what we learn and to grow from it. Lord God, your word it certainly goes deep, and it, it has very profound uh, teachings within it that uh, challenge us. Thank you for the challenge. Please grow us and bless us as only you can. In Jesus' name, we pray it be your will. Amen. So the, um, the parable emphasizes repentance. I mean, so, so, so there are two things that are, um, that are technically lost today in churches. One, repentance. That's a lost thing. You don't see that much. Maybe I should say more public repentance, um, but but still repentance. You just we don't see much of that um, in in the church any longer, even in the world. And um, the second part of this message is lost, being lost. We don't hear that a lot. You know, you you've heard um, that you know the old preachers would preach fire and brimstone sermons, and and it's true they they did. Uh, do that, and that in that day, in that you know, in the '60s and before that, um, that was really more acceptable. Although there was a great time of turmoil at that time as well. So when you have turmoil, uh, there's more. The gospel seems to reach us better when there's turmoil because our hearts are softened. Um, and so, but anyway, this this particular parable, Luke 15, uh, is about lostness. Okay, it's about being lost. And being found, those are the you know those are two states of humans. We're either we're either saved and in Christ, or we're out of Christ. I mean, that, there's no other place to be. You're either in or you're out. This parable is definitely definite about that. Um, but it definitely challenges the thought that sometimes we uh, we get into the habit of believing because someone came to the church building and punched the clock that um, that means they're saved. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And so we're going to find a man in this parable, the older brother who punched the clock every day, right? But the man's heart was really off. And so that doesn't really help. I mean, that's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible's teaching uh, true obedience and the fact that there's a, there's, there are some who are going to be lost, the majority, and there are some who are going to be saved. But what the challenge is, the heart. What is truly in side of the heart of humanity what is in your heart so that's going to be the question that you'll have to ask yourself 
throughout the lesson series continually is, as I'll ask myself, what is truly in your heart? So we're going to read Luke 15. Let's read the first 10 verses and then stop there. We'll, um, before we get into the first son, the prodigal, as it's called, but um, let's do that first. Verse 1. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And then when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, uh, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over, excuse me, the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, the key word is repent. And, uh, and it's talking about the key thought or the key idea is lostness. So a person is lost and then a person is found. A sheep is lost, and then a sheep is found. A coin is lost, and then a coin is found. Now, just for a moment, because this is important. Um, uh, let's put this on the screen, Luke 15, 1. We'll put it on the screen. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Because this is the key, uh, this is the key to this passage. If, if you don't, when, when you read the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what is God, first of all, what's the original intent, intent of the message, right? So, God is talking, we want to know who the recipients are. God is talking to the scribes and Pharisees um, who are deemed by God as hypocrites, right? And they, they did not uh, follow the law, uh, but they made everyone else obey it. Or they, if you will, encouraged others in some way to obey it, to receive the benefits of obeying God, right? Um, so we have to see the parable, the scope of the parable through the lens of the Pharisees and the scribes. So Jesus is, um, so he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees and, and he's bringing them in to this account and helping them to understand, I'm talking about you, right? This is where, here's, here's your state of being. You look like, Matthew 23, right? You look like you're saved. You sit in the seat of Moses and you look, you know, you got all your phylacteries long, lengthened and you look great. You look like you're holy, but you're unrighteous, right? you're ungodly. You're horrible, and, and we can see that in, in Christianity. In the word Christendom, uh, we can see that. We can see the radicalism of Christianity in an inappropriate way, something that's contrary to the Word of God, etc. If we don't see this passage of Scripture through the lens of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we're going to miss the depth of the, of the meaning that Jesus was teaching. And that's why everyone, when they talk about the prodigal, they, they talk about the one son, and then they talk about the father's love. And that's wonderful, because that is part of it. But you cannot talk about the one son who goes off and lives his life uh, wastefully um, and the father's love without the, 
the middle brother, if you will, the older brother, the elder brother. That, that's the key because the Pharisees and the scribes are the issue. So look at the picture that Jesus is painting in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. So what, is that, what picture does that paint to you? Right? It's this picture of this cesspool of sinners. We're looking through the scope, the eye, the lens of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sinners, it says all, it's a hyperbolic uh, statement, uh, but all, all of them are coming to Jesus, and they're surrounding Jesus, and Jesus is teaching, right? This hyperbolic statement that everybody was there, right? All my friends are going to be there. Well, not all of them, right? Okay, but in this particular passage, all of the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. So you can imagine that. Here's the master teacher, and he's teaching all of these people, these sinners, these, these people that are, well, let's see, through the lens of the Pharisees and the scribes, what are they? They're not worth Jesus' time. They're not even worth their time. They're not worth my time. These people are, are beneath us, right? We are so far above them. We are so, so, so different, so separated. Remember in John chapter 9, when um, the man was born blind, then Jesus healed him, and he was able to see. And then when that man corrected the Pharisees by saying, you know, here's what's interesting. Never has a man ever been, you know, healed, in, you know, being born, and then all of a sudden blind, and then all of a sudden he's able to see. It's never happened in history. So and he challenged them, and they said, you, you're just a sinner. You can't talk to us. See, their attitude horrible, right? So here's this sea of people who are listening to the master teacher to God, right? And God is talking to them and God is speaking to them about great things of of the Lord. And verse 2, and both the Pharisees and the scribes began to crumble, right? Saying, "Hmm, this man receives sinners and eats with Grumbling, right? So you get you know, murmuring over there, grumbling. Like that's the old picture of Israel, right? They always grumbled about everything, right? You know, God, this isn't good enough. Give us meat. Oh, it's too much meat. You know, whatever, right? Okay. So, through the eyes of Jesus, we're looking at the grumblers, and we're looking at the the, the scribes and the Pharisees and their and their wickedness. And when you see that, you understand that these people who are correcting God, they are not in the right. They are not righteous, but in their minds. They're good, right? The older son, I've never done anything wrong, Dad. See, the, see, you can't list. We can't leave the older son out. So God, he's pointing somewhere. And so the, the parable gives us an understanding that we deeply and desperately need um, our God. And it's been lost. That idea has been lost in the minds of the scribes, the Pharisees, and in this particular passage also, um, uh, the, you know, you, you, the leaders, if you will, they have lost the idea and the understanding that they need God. So they're running, um, you know, from God, really, in reality. But, but let me tell you something. When you run from God, which is exactly what the scribes have done at this time in the Pharisees, there still is only one way home, right? Young boy runs from his father. He runs away, but there's still only one way home. And what is that? Repentance. You see, that's the point. See, the point that he's driving home this, this strong point that that's, that's how you, for, if you will, 
leave the idea of being lost and come to salvation. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, and that's not on our slides, so we'll pick our slides up later. Um, and I want to just, just look at verse verse 8 um, for just, just a moment because it's a very profound scripture. Um, it's one of those scriptures that um, if if people today could cut that scripture out of their Bibles, they'd do it. But but we cannot. It, and it means what it says. It's pretty matter of fact. But it's true. It's, it's the idea of lostness. There are people who are lost. So verse 8 says, dealing out retribution. This is, this is God. God's going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So Think about all the people that when you've studied with them who have said, well, do you th- God's not going to, what if no one's, well, they haven't heard the gospel. God's not going to send them to hell. That's not my God. It's like, well, you just need to read your Bible, right? I mean, God knows best. And so obviously there was something, there was some reason why these people didn't reach out to God, and that's between them and God. But we're not going to change the Bible just because these people exist, right, and have existed in this day, in this hour, and even in this time. So here, the text, verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. So here's the point. Not everybody's going to heaven lostness. That's what he's teaching in Luke 15. So you know, you know, sometimes it may seem like people are going to heaven that may not be there when you get there. You know, maybe I won't get there, right? And then there are people you thought would never get there and then all of a sudden, you, you know, they're there. So, um, lostness. There's only one way home and it's through repentance for uh, the church. So, the church sometimes gives in to societal pressures. Uh, like, you know, um, if if it's no longer acceptable to the world, we seem to back away from it. We don't want to be seen um, as judgmental, uh, as mean spirited, which you know we're not. We're just teaching the Bible. The Bible is very judgmental, right? And to the eye of, of the person, the individual who is not willing to accept the will of God. Um, it's very judgmental and it's very mean-spirited. But the reality is uh, that God says there's only one way home, right? So we know for the alien sinner, that's through hearing, you know, hearing the gospel and, and repenting and confessing uh, and being baptized. But, but we're talking about Christians now. We know there's only one way home for the Christian who's walked away from God, and that is through, through repentance. And that is, it's not our judgment call, but rather the judgment call of God. And so sometimes the church is guilty, we are guilty of being like Israel. Israel, um, though they knew the, the devastation of the king who would come their way in First Samuel chapter 8, God told them very clearly, um, verses 4 through 20, the end of the chapter, verse 20, 22, um, they still wanted a king. And they wanted a king to make them, to judge them like all the other nations. They wanted one, you know, to lead them. They wanted a man-made leader instead of God. And unfortunately, that's the same example in the world of Christendom. 
today that people love man-made leaders instead of looking to God. You know, it's like, it, you know, we love the idea when someone has a question and say, hey, we got some Bible for that. You know, let the Bible speak. But that, again, is another lost thing. You know, the Bible is going to declare all the answers to humanity. It does, uh, and it, it will, but we don't always like to go to the Bible. And that's what we have to get back into the habit of doing is going back to the Bible, right? The Bible and the Bible talks about every subject uh, known to man, and not always the popular ones, but it's in there, right? We don't always like to go to them, but they are in there, and that's what Luke 15 is all about. It's about that unpopular subject. Um, I think I called it a, f- a few weeks ago before this you know, pandemic and everything. I called it the elephant in the room, <laughs> right? A lot of folks aren't going to make it to heaven. Okay, so the subject... Um, of dying lost. It's it's critical. It's easier not to think about it. But if our neighbors, our family members, our friends are dying lost, what kind of responsibility do you think we have? If our neighbors, our friends, and our family are perfectly fine, I'm okay, you're okay. What kind of responsibility do we have? So on one hand, we have none. But to God, we have a huge, a huge responsibility in trying to save the lost because people are lost. Even our good friends and our good neighbors that are not Christians who are kind and sweet and gentle and generous, sad thought, isn't it? So, let's think about the difference. Um, that the idea of, of sanctification and uh, what God has done for us, making us His children through the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, He has justified us. So maybe we're not as good as that kind, friendly, wonderful person that is our neighbor or, or relative. Maybe we're not nearly as good as they are, but the difference is we've been justified. Abraham, Romans 4 and 5, was justified. He wasn't perfect. He was justified. Okay, And, and so being justified ourselves, that is the gift of God. And we thank God for that, to be justified. And so when you're justified, you're qualified. And that's, that's interesting, right? You're qualified. Not by man's standards, but by the standard of God. You're qualified. And you're qualified because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has qualified our works. So, an example, the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And you go on, okay, so now the question on the idea of love, well, here's my great loving neighbor. What's the difference between their love and my love? Even if they love better than I do, what's the difference between the two? One's the fruit of the Spirit and one is not. Because the world cannot have the whole, John 16, the world cannot have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, their works are not qualified, you see, and they have been justified. And we have to understand those words and sanctify. All those very important words and valid words that the Bible uh, gives uh, to us. And so this is a very real topic and is not to be judged based on the deeds of humanity, but by the grace and mercy of God, right? And so our responsibility is to teach the lost uh, what thus saith the Lord. So, 
contextually, let's look again at what Jesus was talking about. So Luke 14, and I'm just going to mention the passages and you can go back and uh, read most of them. But we are going to go to Luke 14. Um, verse, we're going to go to Luke, we're going to go to Luke 15. Luke 14, though, verses 15 through 24 is about the marriage feast, the marriage banquet. And remember at that banquet, uh, the, the saved, right, the saved, uh, the Jews, they were invited, but they didn't have time for God, right? The Pharisees do what they wanted nothing to do with God. God was in their midst. You know, what does it say? Um, uh, Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel, God is with us. They wanted nothing to do with the God who's with us, even though the prophetic message uh, was true and every bit of evidence was in front of them. John chapter 3, Nicodemus says, We know that you are from God, for no one can do the things that you do uh, unless God is with him. And so there's no question about them knowing who he was, but they didn't want to come to the wedding feast. So in, in Luke 15, Luke 14, rather, uh, they're all invited, uh, but the saved, right, the ones you think are saved, they, they didn't make it in. They chose not to come in. They wanted nothing to do with God. They basically chose to miss heaven. Uh, and that's unfortunately, but that's what we're talking about with the older, excuse me, the older brother. Now, Luke 15 is about the lost sheep. So it's the lost sheep and then the lost coin. And then this son of mine was what? Dead. But now he liveth. And then there's the older brother who definitely was dead. There's no question about that, right? And then he goes into chapter 16, and, you know, you, you, as you peruse through 16, look at verse 14 of Luke chapter 6. Actually, go back to verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and um, love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So here's this, you know, there's no way to get to heaven sitting on the fence. You know, you need to get off the fence, right? Christians are expected to be off of the fence and either be, as the Bible says, be cold, as Luke, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 3, um, to be cold or hot, but, but not lukewarm, right? So God doesn't want Christians on the fence. Uh, so here he says, you can't serve both. Can't serve God and mammon or God, you cannot do it. So, so knowing that we cannot serve God and mammon, we have to get off the fence. So we have to decide on which side of the fence we are uh, on. Verse 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and they were scoffing at him. So look at that. Their, their attitudes were horrible, weren't they? You know, they're listening to God speak as God touched the heart, right? God touched the heart and by touching the heart, they were scoffing at him. They were upset. They were you know, just didn't want to hear what he had to say because he was touching their heart. And the problem is, when the Bible touches your heart and you refuse to, keyword, repent, there's a problem with your soul, you see. When the Word touches our heart, which is the intention of God to lift us up and encourage us and also to condemn us when we're doing wrong, right? When the Word of God touches our hearts, we're supposed to be willing to change, to repent in our lives. Uh, verse 15 says, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. That's money, right? So we highly esteem money. We not only highly esteem money, we, high, we you know, lift high the person who has the money, 
right? And God says, what you highly esteem to God, it's detestable. That's powerful, right? And scary, right? It's both powerful and scary. So when you're looking at the scribes and Pharisees in the context, Jesus is setting up this point and saying, I'm telling you that right now, if you don't change your life, you are going to be lost if you are not willing to repent. So he goes from there into uh, the famous uh, rich man Lazarus, right? One was very, very wealthy. One was very, very poor. What's his point? What's Jesus going to teach us now? He's going to say, you people who are in love with money and in love with yourselves and are willing to justify yourselves instead of letting God be the one who justifies us, right? If you're going to justify yourself, um, you're going to be lost. You're going to die lost. Here's a good example. And he gives the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the parable uh, is simple. There was a very rich man and there was a very poor man. One went to heaven and one went to hell. You know, the forbidden word, right? See, it's a forbidden word today. People don't want to hear the word hell. They don't want to hear that people went to hell. In fact, um, you know, one of the, I think, it's tough. Preachers, you know, now now we're just doing celebrations of life. You know, we're, I mean, it's like, you, we just want to do a celebration of life. It's like, what about, okay. You know, people make it tough on preachers today, you know. And, and, and because, we, because we want to walk away from the reality of what Jesus is trying to teach us. And if we do that, we might, unfortunately and sadly enough, find ourselves lost in the end. Right? Okay, so the context, the greater context is lostness, being lost. Even the after context is being lost, right? So Luke 15, Luke 16, Luke 14, uh, as well as Luke 13. So now, um, I want us to look over at the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 um, and 14. What is it about? It's about the narrow gate. What is it about? About being saved about being lost, right? Into by the narrow gate, uh, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to life, and many are those who enter by it. Why is he even, why, the Sermon of the Mount, why is he teaching this? Why is he saying in, in, in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said this, but I say, you know, why is he challenging the mindset of humanity? Why is he talking in chapter 6 about, um, uh, their, the, hypo- um, the hypocrisy of the prayers, you know, the, the f- those who are righteous in their prayers and trying to be noticed by men. Why is he talking about judgment? You know, you show no mercy, you receive no mercy. Talking about the judgment day, uh, the great judgment day of God. And then he goes on to talk about our prayers and having faith in our prayers. And then, then he gets into this lostness, you know, closing the Sermon on the Mount out, that the, the, the narrow gate, only a few, only a few. And the, the, and the other gate, the wide gate, the majority are going through this, through this wide gate because part of it is what? We can, we can justify ourselves. We justify ourselves, so we're really good at that, aren't we? Well, why did you do that? Well, <laughs> and we can give a grace. We love our stories. And so the question is, what is your story? What is the story that you're going to give to God on Judgment Day? Well, here's a story, verse 21. Um, and not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will who is, uh, of my Father who is in heaven, many will say, here's the story, 
on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And we'll go through our whole list of all the things we did for God that were wonderful and great and how God needs us. And But that story doesn't justify us, right? Justification, Romans 4. Qualification, the Holy Spirit. Sanctification, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so it's God who does the judging. And this is the point all through the Scriptures. And we've already gone over all of this, so I'm not going to go over uh, much more of this. I want to get into, um, uh, you know, get back to the text. But this is just kind of a review of where we were supposed, where we kind of left off. And, and, and bringing us back to what the account is really about. This parable is not... Uh, about um, the prodigal, it's about two sons. Okay? It's about two. Jesus says that himself in Luke 15. We're going to go look at the, um, the text, verses 1 and verse 2. Luke 15, verses 1 and verse 2. So the, the basic meaning of prodigal is, of course, wasteful. We know that. Um, spending a reckless, you know, you know, I guess reckless abandonment, if you will. Uh, the word, the word prodigal. So, there, there are these evident sins. Uh, when you think about evident sins, think about it like um, the obvious stuff, right? There's the obvious stuff. Hell yeah. You ever told a lie? Oh, yeah. You ever done this? You ever done that? But then you start getting into that really, you know, personal stuff. When you get into that's the, I'm going to call that uh, throughout this lesson the second pig pen, <laughs> right? The prodigal was in the pig. We, you, know, you can see the pig pen. He's in. You can see it from miles away. It's obvious. It, it's evident. Here's a Jew who's in a pig pen, and you know that's, he's defiling himself. What's wrong with the guy, right? But at home, there's an older brother, the elder brother. His pig pen's up here. Just can't see it can hide it and um but it's not hidden from god is it Nope, it's not hidden from god but it's hidden from man from humanity and so what is in your heart that's that's the question you know what is in your heart what is what is truly and, that, and by the way not this not this one right this one doesn't deal with emotion and uh, this one just keeps me alive in the sense that it it pumps blood. It's this one, the heart, the mind. And um, Jeremiah says the mind of man is desperately sick. Right? Um, all right. Verse 1 and verse 2. Let's look at attitude. Attitude. Now all the task gatherers and the sinners were coming near him and to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Attitude is the difference. Sinners are listening to. The idea is they have repentive hearts. They want to know. Tell me, God, what I have to change. You know, where I am in my life, um, my struggles, my, my weaknesses. Uh, Zacchaeus, God, if, if I've wronged anyone, I'll pay them back fourfold. I mean, you know, get me to heaven, God. And but the Pharisees uh, had a different kind of attitude. They refused to repent. They had what we might call a self-righteous attitude, right? And we don't we don't think about it like that. We don't like to think 
or to say to each other, unless we're angry. Right? You're just being self-righteous. Well, yeah, we don't like to think about the reality uh, of the of the heart of, of a lot of humans, a lot of Christians, is that there's this self-righteous attitude. I'm going to give you a great example of a self-righteous attitude. Me. I've been there. Man, I'll tell you what. Let me show you. Luke Luke chapter 18. It took me a while to understand this passage. It really did. I, I, I didn't think I was being self-righteous, but that's the amazing thing about Satan is that he's he's very sneaky. He can slip it in on you, and you not even know that you're being self-righteous. You just, you know, I just didn't understand. But in my lack of understanding, look at verse 9 and following. Um, it says, uh, he also told this parables to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a task gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humble, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And I didn't, I didn't understand that. I was a brand new Christian, um, babe in Christ, reading the scriptures, reading the Bible, not really understanding much of what I read. And one day we had a, a study, and I don't recall who taught the Bible study, but they were like, okay, so what do you think about the prayer? And I was like, man, that's a great prayer. <laughs> right? I thought, I it's great, you know. You know, I'm so thankful, God, that I know that I'm not living like that anymore and doing the things I used to do. And that's the way I viewed it. Like, I'm just so thankful. I'm just not doing that anymore. And, and you know, and, wow, oh, that's just great. And that's, I'm just, oh, I'm doing wonderful. And, yeah, that's the wrong attitude to have. But I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. I just, I was so excited to be free of my sins um, that, yeah, I lacked the understanding maybe of, you know, the fact that, no, it's about, humility and uh and i had to learn that what that meant to to be humble and to surrender yourself to god and to be like the second man who wouldn't even lift his head to uh to heaven and you know he just said be merciful to me a sinner i'm in bad shape and christians we're not sinners we sin there's a difference right sinners practice sin we don't we don't practice we shouldn't if you are Here's that word again. You need to repent, right? We we practice we we um, we sin. We don't we don't sin intentionally. Uh, we strive to stay away from sin, and when we find ourselves sinning, uh, we have to repent. You have to love um, the married couples. You know, at night when we go to bed, I think we all have been there, and you have anger in your heart. And what do you know you can't do? can't go to sleep so you stay awake like ah, right. gotta go make it right to go you know it's just we don't want to sin we could we could be like the world and go to bed angry right just go to bed angry and wake up angry and go to work angry and slam the doors and kick the the dog and all that you can but it's not what god wants us to do so we resist um being evil we strive to be better than we have been in the past we repent we turn from evil and live the best that we can for Jesus. So to think, though, that we are not uh, people who sin 
is where the problem is. You see, um, we do make mistakes. And the world, they're watching us closely, right, with a close eye. Uh, you know, we always say the elders live, uh, the preacher lives in a, a glass house. But all of us do when it comes to the world, right? The, the glass house for the church, for the preacher and the elders and the deacon. But for the world, they're looking at the Christian house and saying, oh, you guys are doing some of the same things that, that I've been guilty of or that I'm doing. And so what makes you better than me, et cetera, et cetera. The, the point is, when a Christian finds themselves sinning, we have a responsibility to God, an obligation as a child of God to repent, turn our lives around. And you know what's happened? I've said this before. We have um, made repentance a shameful thing. Satan has done that. Satan has removed the joy of repentance. Luke is telling us that in Luke chapter 15. There's a joy in repentance. And you, if you, uh, I, I pray you have, you've repented, you've felt that weight lifted off your shoulders, right? You know what it's like. Repent to God, come to God. It's like, whoa, I got that off my back. I had to get that off my shoulders. It's wearing me down. Hebrews 12 tells us that, you know, if you don't release that sin that so easily entangles us, I mean, it's like walking across the stage or somewhere with a shackle tied to your foot. You know, you're gonna, it's going to slow you down. Right? It's going to hold you back, and you and you got you got to turn it loose. And um, repentance does that. It frees the mind, it frees the heart, and in in the sight of God, it brings this tremendous amount of joy. Right, this excitement um, over one sinner who repents, and that's God's point. Right, and he's not worried about a hundred thousand people repenting. That'd be wonderful, but it probably ain't going to happen. If it happens, great. Let's just start with one. So the question today is, do you need to repent? You know, have you repented yet? What things are in your life today that are keeping you out of heaven? Is there something? Is there one thing keeping you out of heaven? And if it is, maybe you say, no, 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 preacher, it's not one thing. And you may be proud about that. Then I may ask the question a little differently. I may ask, how many things are keeping you out of heaven? (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah, now I get it, right? Get rid of that stuff, right? Whatever it is that um, is holding you back, that's the stuff that we have to get rid of. And that's what Luke 15 is all about. See, it's about these two boys who had to get rid of a lot of stuff, right? You ever heard the term, I know you have, heard the term sowing your wild oats, you know, right? Oh, boy. Was that what the first boy was doing? I don't know. We're, we're going to get to him. We're going to talk about his attitude a little bit, and we'll get to the older one as well. But, um, you know, it's like just there's nothing worth your soul. Right? Don't ever trade your soul in for anything on this earth. It's all temporary, right? The temporal will never bring true satisfaction. It's not what we need. It's only what we want. We want the temporary things because we're finite beings, and we are well-adjusted to the temporary, but we're not as well adjusted to uh, the eternal because we don't understand eternity. We just can't conceive it in our minds, and so we don't really strive after it as hard or reach toward it. Uh, we reach toward and strive after things like material stuff, you know, money, and our houses, and our cars, and things like that, clothing, etc. because, see, we, we're finite, and we can deal with that. We understand that, right? And so... Um, we, we miss it. This, this wasteful son, um, is, he goes out and, and he, he lives a life of sin. But God's point, he sets it up. Why does God bring it up twice? 
right? Really, three times in the parable. Perfect number, isn't it? Three times. He brings it up three times. Repentance. Right? He brings up three times. Somebody, something was lost, and then it was found. Someone was lost, and then they were found. Someone was lost and died lost. That's the idea, right? We don't know. Maybe 10 years down the line, the other brother repents. Who knows, right? Okay. But the, but the point of the parable is it's about repentance. So verse 3, verse 3 of Luke chapter 15. And he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. So, why would a Pharisee or a scribe who lost a sheep go after that sheep? He's a resource. It's money. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 14? They were lovers of money, right? So, money. Which one of you, having lost a precious resource, a sheep, will not leave the 99 in the open pasture where they're, you know they're going to be there and go after that one sheep, that one resource. And the answer for the, fire, the Pharisees and the scribes would be, we all would leave the 99 in the open pasture to go get the one. Because the open, you know, in other words, they're not, the ones in the open pasture aren't going anywhere. You know, they're, they're fine. He goes on to say, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? He found his resource. <laughs> Money comes back to him. He's excited. He's not rejoicing for the same reason that God rejoices, but he's rejoicing over it. The next verse, verse 6. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Remember, we're looking through the lens of the Pharisees, Right? So they're rejoicing because I lost some money. I lost a precious resource and I found it. Now I'm so excited. I'm still rich or whatever, right? My mind, I'm still doing good. I'm still doing well. And then he turns it. Jesus turns it and says, hey, I want you to think about this from a spiritual perspective. Okay. In verse seven, he says, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He goes from a precious resource, right? He goes from a precious resource to, what if that were a human? What if that were one of your brothers? See the point? Okay, we're going we're gonna to break. We're going to come back. We're going to start over, come back to the next part because our time is up and pick up in verse uh, 8. Thank you very much for your time thus far. Appreciate it.